0: This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Julie Kratz. She's a leadership trainer, speaker, and author, and founder of Pivot Point. And this episode is Work Minus Gender Inequality. Hi, Julie. How are you?
1: Hey, good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, that's great to have you on. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience so they get a feel for who you are?
1: Absolutely. So uh, my uh, business is Pivot Point. We exist to develop inclusive leaders, uh, promote equality in the workplace, while also helping women leaders build what we call a winning career game plan. And we, um, our focus now is on leading like an ally, and so knowing your audience is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people leaders inside organizations, um, we're finding that organizations are really wanting to drive an inclusive culture where everyone feels seen, heard, that they belong. Um, But often, the middle manager especially is is not, uh, is often overlooked, in fact, of how to be an inclusive leader, and so I'm excited to talk more about that with you today.
0: Yeah, well, why don't you start us off with how you got involved in this in the first place? How did this become such a passionate idea for you that you ended up turning into a business?
1: Yeah, uh, it, you know, I spent twelve years in corporate America. I, I survived, <laughs> but I have some battle wounds from the experience. Sure, so I very much empathize with uh, our audience. Um, so I threaded throughout that experience. I had the chance to be a people leader very early on in my career uh, at age twenty-three, and so that was pretty unusual to lead teams, big teams. Um, I was in the operations environment, and you know I, I, that was a really probably the hardest job I've ever had, honestly, uh, where I had to learn to be a leader on the fly. And then I went back to business school, you know, got my MBA, thought I wanted to be a marketer, ended up being a consultant, uh, tried that hat. Um, And again, I ended up leading a team of consultants. And through that experience, again, that common thread of leadership, I became really passionate about leadership development and providing tools to leaders that I certainly didn't have access to in my career. So how do we make it easier and meet people where they're at and pull them uh, through um, those leadership skills that I know, you know, things like coaching, emotional intelligence, um, really can differentiate you as a leader and help you get results faster.
0: So I like the the what you said about learning to be a leader on the fly, because I think that's where a lot of people find themselves in. They did well when they first entered into the workforce, they get promoted, and all of a sudden they're leading people. But they're not really trained for that necessarily. It's, it's something they just are thrown into. So especially when it comes to the idea of inclusiveness and, and inequality and, and equity, what are some of the bad habits, the things we've inherited from the past that are, are really hard to, to recognize even in yourself or recognize that you're probably going to to lean towards those without even realizing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we all have bias. I, I know you've had uh, some allies of mine uh, on the podcast before that have spoken about unconscious biases and and the fact that we have them and, and what to look out for. I think that's one. Uh, self-awareness is really step one into your inclusive leadership journey. You know, thinking about the things that you don't see, um, being open to meeting with people that are different than you it is a huge one. And just simply being curious to learn from people that are different than you we have a tendency to surround ourselves by people that think like us, that act like us, that behave like us. Um, and that's not where the best ideas, the best decisions, and, and the best business results come from. And so, really looking, you know, to diversify your network, be aware of your biases um, when they happen in the moment, when you make making a judgment about somebody, you know, really stopping yourself, pausing and intervening with, how do I know that's true, you know, based on what information did I arrive at that conclusion? So, I, I often offer self-awareness as step one. And in the the lead like an ally journey, um, and, and to be aware there's a there's a term. Um, that your listeners may be aware of if they've listened to past episodes, but um, microaggressions. Um, these are the subtle little signals um, that we send to people that are different than the majority group that they don't belong. And and this is where I really see, especially from a gender perspective, there's so many subtle signals um, to women in the workplace today, um, whether she's a new mother and we assume she doesn't want to travel or be promoted, uh, whether she's um, new to the workforce and you know we... Um, put her in a, in a different type of role because it's more female-oriented or friendly like HR or marketing, uh, there's these little subtle signals that we're sending. And, and certainly from a race perspective, social sexual, uh, sexual orientation, um, disability perspective, th- those can be even more um, pervasive and, and oftentimes subtle as well. And so I think being aware of, of your bias, being self-aware of those microaggressions, and, and if you see something that someone else does that's aligned with that behavior, those negative assumptions of people that may be different, the majority group say something, you know, be an upstander, not a bystander.
0: So self-awareness is something that's great when you are aware, but to become aware of that, I find is often the hardest challenge. You're talking to maybe a a young, white, straight male guy who says, yeah, I, I think women are equal. I think, you know, we should treat people nicely. We should do all these things, but it's hard to really see yourself in a negative light to say that microaggression came from me or I, That's pointed out to you like, well, you know, I didn't mean it like that or something like that. So what are the the best ways? You just want to ask somebody like, tell me what you see or how can you identify those things (laughs) in yourself?
1: Well, ask for feedback on that. You know, if in a lot of managers say that to me, I don't see gender. I don't see race, which we all see those things. So that's step one. That's not true. (laughs) Be okay with that. That that makes you human. We see things, we recognize differences, um, and I, I think most people think they're good intentioned, right? And and so as you're saying, hey, you know, I, I treat women equally, I treat people of color equally. I think challenging yourself, challenging that belief system, and being a bit introspective uh, about uh, maybe the the subtle signals I am sending, and just spend a day, spend a day being curious. You know, take an inventory at a meeting. A meeting behavior tells you everything. Whose voice is heard the most in a meeting? I I would bet it is a Caucasian male. Uh, Who's interrupted in meetings? I would bet that it's a woman. Uh, Whose ideas surface and then are taken credit for by others in the meeting? My bet again, would be on a woman. And so if you just take notice of these subtle behaviors in the workplace and put your antennas up to see it instead of not see it and to convince yourself that you're a good person, it doesn't feel good thinking I'm I'm not a good person. And that's not what I'm saying. Uh, It's okay to be (laughs) good-ish. It's okay. (laughs) <laughs> to not have it all together, there's a wonderful read out there for your listeners that I, I just finished this weekend. Um, Dolly Chug wrote it. Um, she I had the honor to interview her for my book about men as allies, and, and the title is The Person You Mean to Be. And she opens with her own story as a woman of color in this country uh, about a time when she screwed up, <laughs> you know. How she maybe wasn't comfortable leaning into this conversation. And and that's the conversation we need to be having is, I'm not perfect, and that's okay. Yeah. If I do some introspection and my inventory turns out different than what I wanted, I can do something with that. And we all can get better. You know, I often sh- share leading like an ally. It is a journey, not a destination. You know, I am learning more, for example, about racism. And this has been really hard for me to introspectively look at my own network and realize how many white women uh, that I spend time with, and how limiting that is to my growth and development and so how do I lean in it's uncomfortable, but really lean into unpacking my own privilege, my own network, thinking about how I can be more inclusive and it's been a journey uh, it is not ending. it is only um going to continue. I won't ever arrive at at fully understanding my own racial bias and and how that limits me. Um, But I'm certainly going to strive to get better every day. And and that's all we're asking as as allies is strive to get better every day, do something um, that advances the conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get deeper into this topic of privilege, because I know it's something you've talked about on your own podcast before. When you talk about meetings, I was even thinking in my own life, I found where I needed the most self awareness was I was I would always summarize what somebody said at the end or have the last word. And almost I felt like people were looking to me to say something, almost like okay now it's your turn, white guy, <laughs> to to summarize everything. But it wasn't really true. Like it was just fine if I just shut up and. Said, okay, that sounds good. So yeah, that that's from my own experience. But let let's get into this topic of leading like an ally. Being an ally is something we've we've touched on a little bit, but I don't want to get really deep into this. So so tell us how you define an ally, what it is and what it isn't, and how can we build these skills?
1: Yeah, yeah, great question. So an ally, think of it as an umbrella term, uh, and you know the research that uh, supports this. I know Jennifer Brown talked about as a, a continuum. How I tend to talk about it is in, there's kind of five key categories of an ally, and by no means is this all-inclusive, but this is where I see it surface in corporate America the most. So an ally, think of it, again, as an umbrella. The spokes within that umbrella could be a mentor, um, someone that is basically the f- future version, who you want to be someday, who you want to grow up <laughs> and be like, Uh, someone's doing what you want to do. Second category is a sponsor. So somebody that's in meeting rooms, somebody that has access to decisions you don't have access to, Um, this could be formal through power. This could be informal through influence. Think about the person in your organization. When they say yes, it's a go. Uh, The third is um, an advocate. And these could be public, these could be private. Think of these as champions. These are people that are making sure your voice is heard. They're amplifying your voice, speaking up with you on your behalf, telling people how awesome you are. Uh, and then we have another category, challengers. And, and then sometimes we get misinterpret them as non-allies and kind of say, ah, oh, they're just being a jerk. No, I, oftentimes they're they're shining the light for us to see something we need to see. They're the people that tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Uh, they give feedback. They give constructive criticism. They're constantly trying to make us better. Um, and then the fifth category is kind of my my favorite is the celebrator. You know, who's there to celebrate with you? When I have something great happen, I have a great male ally, I text I'm like, hey, I hit a new record on my sales this month. Someone to celebrate you with you and help promote positive successes. So those are kind of the categories that I would say I most often see in the, the workspace. But I would also offer that our allies... It could be at home. You know, it could be personal relationships that we have with our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our um, husband. You know, our partners, um, whatever that looks like. And so, thinking about. Um, Who your allies are and how to be more of an ally, what the research bears, what we know to be true is that women are far less likely to have allies than men are. Men, um, because of sheer rank inside organizations, they're usually 80% or more of a leadership team. The board is very much set up the same way. They build relationships with each other and they often nurture relationships down in the organization with people that resemble themselves, kind of the younger version of myself that just happens to be a young man. And so women have less access to mentors, to sponsors, to people that can advocate for them. So this is where we really need to step up and get more men. But to your point, we women need to be allies for women. And that's, that's a subject we've also addressed in a podcast that comes up often in my live Q&As when I speak. Is, hey, women are the ones that aren't helping. Well, it, it's really not fair to put the ownership of being an ally all on the woman's shoulders to help women. Um, oftentimes, if there's one or two women leading inside an organization at the C-suite level, and it's usually HR marketing, they are burdened with the task of developing all the other women. You know, they just don't have enough time to do that, and that's really not fair. Um, So, overtaxing women leaders to be allies, um, well, they probably didn't have the support themselves to climb the ladder. So, maybe they don't even know how to be an ally. So, I think really thinking about this from, from a perspective of, of gender equality, and we all want things to be equal, right? I'm going to go ahead and make that assumption if you're listening. <laughs> Lean in and be an ally as a man, because women are just far less likely to have the kind of relationships that you do.
0: All right. So let's say that I'm a man. I want to be an ally. uh, I want to, to do this right. How do I start off this conversation? Does it need to be formal where I like go to somebody and say, Hey, I want to be your ally. Which of these categories would you like me to fill? Like what, what's, is it, does it need to happen? Like what's the best way to start?
1: Yeah, I like this question because this is where I'm getting a lot of tactical. Give me a checklist. You know, give me a step by step be an ally guide. And I struggle with this. I'm, I'm much probably more in the strategic realm of this, but I, I hear you. And and what I would offer is tactical steps. To be an ally is first, um, you know, take an inventory of the people you spend time with. You know, much like Amy um, Weininger talks about. You know, we 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 usually have like minded people in our circle. So just to be aware of that, think about how who you want to spend more time with, and if it happens as a man to be women, um, people of color, whatever that looks like for you. Think about people that um, could really benefit from your expertise, your coaching, your mentorship, um, your advocacy. Think about high potential. People inside your organization that could really benefit from your skill set, um, your expertise, whatever it is that you can offer, and then I would also say, yeah, while it feels great to volunteer to be someone's ally, it's much better if someone comes to you and seeks out your allyship. However, women are far less likely to do that. That's probably a very, very popular question I also get in my live Q and A from women. How do I ask? I'm afraid. So there's this pairing that, that needs to happen, and I think a good conversation, a good starting point is, hey, I'd like to go out to coffee with you, or hey, I'd like to have a, you know, a, a discussion with you um, about um, your career. And I simply just want to understand, you know, how how I could be supportive, how someone on my team could be supportive. Um, I just like to listen and learn. And that's what our allies do really well. They listen and learn. So you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to go into the conversation with, like, a game plan on how you're going to, like, be the ally and save the day. That doesn't feel good, and that's not sustainable. From a woman's perspective, raise your hand. If you see somebody inside the organization, male or female, that you want to emulate, be like, learn from, ask them hey, could I pick your brain for half an hour? Uh, good organizations actually set the standard for this type of behavior. So, J.P. Morgan Chase, I had the chance to be an a Allies Summit with them and their leadership team last year in New York City. And what their leaders shared is they set an expectation that there are these 30-minute conversations on a weekly basis from their leadership team. You think about that, that's what... of your time, assuming you're only working 40 hours a week, can't you carve out half an hour once a week to have that conversation? And so setting the expectation, especially with their director level and above, that you will be having these conversations with people that are different or could benefit from your mentorship, sponsorship, advocacy, coaching, whatever that may be. And so I think there's there's a bit of a balance on the individual to step up, but also at the organization level, set an expectation that this is actually a part of your job and measure it, hold your leaders accountable to be doing, exhibiting these behaviors. All right.
0: Let's look at it from a different angle. Maybe a lot of times when we think about men being an ally of women, it's, it's in these roles of mentoring, sponsoring type things. What if you're just wanting to encourage women who are either peers of yours or who are actually maybe even higher ranking than you, that you just, as a younger man, you may really feel like, wow, she really has it going on. She knows what's, what's up. I want to learn from her. What are ways that we can be allies of people of equal or or higher rank than us in organizations?
1: Yeah. You're starting to see this as a trend reverse mentoring. Um, Primarily from a generational perspective that we can learn a lot from Millennials. Um, there's a lot of confusion about how to motivate Millennials in the workforce and so senior leaders spending time reverse mentoring. Um, I don't love the term reverse mentoring because it suggests that this is somehow backwards but um, but in some ways it is. It's flipping the the concept of mentoring kind of on its ear. And so I do like this idea. As somebody that spends time with a, a young woman leader inside an organization, I learn a ton from my mentee about the struggles she's facing nowadays. She just negotiated salary, for example, and we had a conversation about it and she spoke up. And the feedback she got was quite strange, to be honest, and she didn't end up getting... The outcome she wanted. um, But I think she felt better having been supported for that. So I would say, yeah, absolutely. If you're a young male inside an organization that has yet to kind of go through this gender norming, you know, if you're a year or two in, you may not see everything that you'll probably see that I hope you don't see, but you will see um, later in your career. So yeah, raise your hand, ask a woman to mentor you. Um, That's the thing. Um, I call it cross-gender mentoring. Women are far more likely to be mentored by men and men are far less likely to be mentored by women. Myself, I can testify to this. I've had very few uh, male mentees and and shame on me, you know, right? I should be extending my network in that way too. So it's a two-way street, but yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. That we can learn a lot by exposing young men inside organizations to to women's leadership. So they start to see this as normal. So much of the research shows that we just we question women leaders in ways that we don't male leaders because we haven't seen it before. When A woman demonstrates the same exact behavior that a male does in a meeting setting, a work setting, whatever it is. It's like, oh, she said that. Whoa. A man says the same exact thing, and it's not questioned. And so we really need to unpack this. And the more exposure we have to each other's worlds, I think the better we'll all get.
0: All right. So we're talking about work minus gender inequality. Uh, Let's talk directly to uh, the women who are listening in, young women managers, people who want to get out there and do something great. What is it that's preventing them or that they may be even unconsciously contributing to really help to forward the cause of women and to reach, you know, what we call gender equity instead of just uh, equality.
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I think young women will be facing is the continual pay gap. Um, This, this really um, is a sore subject for me. When you look at the data, um, 82% 82% at best um, that women make in the United States on the dollar to their male counterparts that are doing very similar work. Um, that's disheartening that it takes us several months into the year just to be on equal playing field to male counterparts. And so when I think about young women knowing when to negotiate, uh, just as my mentee did. You know, when I was a young woman, I didn't negotiate. I was like, I'll just take whatever they give me. I was grateful. I was taught to be grateful growing up because I was gender socialized as a, as a woman. However, when I compared notes to my male counterparts, they always negotiated. In fact, my first job out of college, early 2000s, not that long ago, they made all of them, all five of them that started the same day with me made 5% more than I did. And when I compared notes and found that out, I was furious, right? But shame on me. I should have spoken up. But I wonder about the perception of if I had, being a woman, how that would have been perceived versus being a man. The research shows that we tend to over-prefer male requests for promotions and pay increases to females because we assume men are providers and women are caretakers. Now, I share that because I did not negotiate early in my career, but five years later, I, once I learned my lesson, and I negotiated hard. Um, so I nego- I've negotiated for every job I've ever had, and I negotiate on a daily basis with my clients and my own business. But I, I will say, when I negotiated even five years later, I will never forget the HR leader told me in front of one of my direct reports that was mail, yeah, Julie negotiated. Can you believe that? Like, Like I wasn't supposed to. I mean, I got what I wanted, but still, it was a stigma of like, hmm, she shouldn't have done that. She stepped out of bounds, which I, I, I think if I were a male, that would have never been questioned. So negotiate, <laughs> ask for it. What's the worst that could happen? Channel your allies. I mean, practice with somebody like you're going to negotiate. Practice it out. Um, make sure you feel prepared that you've done your homework. Even if it's salary, know the average salaries for the work that you're going to be doing. If it's a promotion, have a plethora of data to support that you absolutely deserve it. There's no questions. Um, and assert yourself. If you can assert yourself, and women have to do this as a kind of gen- gender tightrope, they call it, not too assertively, but not not assertive enough, kind <laughs> of be right, just right in the middle. Uh, but if you can find a way to balance that and, and provide facts, figures, and you're really prepared and feel authentically confident, I, I think that could go a long way for closing the pay gap. And, and the last thing I'll offer is motherhood we know the wheels fall off the bus in corporate America with women um, when they approach the the childbearing years and the opposite is true for men. Um, so we really have to address, you know, equal, equal leave, um, and that all women, all mothers and fathers have access um, to support um, when they have young children. And that that's certainly a huge opportunity that we have in this country that could also support young women. So advocate for that. Be Ask those questions when you're interviewing. it. it it's It's a good question to ask because you want to be supported during those years. And early on, you probably don't even think about it, right? I didn't even know that my job wasn't going to pay maternity leave when I got pregnant. And I found out and I was like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? I'm the breadwinner. You know, I I don't be surprised because it's it's not good the way we treat mothers and fathers in this country.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Julie, tell us about your upcoming book. What can we learn from that? You mentioned a few things that's coming up. But what else are we looking for and what you're going to give to us?
1: Yeah. So I just finished wrapping up writing uh, what we're calling Lead Like an Ally. Uh, That's the working title for now. So hopefully that sticks. Uh, I haven't got full feedback on it yet. But yeah, it will be out later this year. Um, Our goal is 2020 is uh, the actual 100th anniversary of women's suffrage. So primarily white women got the right to vote in 1920. And so 2020 provides a a unique opportunity to look back and look forward at the same time. So we're kind of playing off of that as 2020 being the year of an ally, lead like an ally, focus forward, Um, hindsight's 2020. So that's an exciting thing that we're working on. We have a 52-week learning program we're going to be piloting this fall. So if your listeners are interested in learning more, um, simply send me a message. We've got a Lead Like an Ally page on our website. We just relaunched uh, this week a www.nextpivot.com. Point.com. And that's actually our social media handle, too. So you can find us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook at NextPivotPoint. And uh, I post daily on LinkedIn, Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. Uh, follow me there. Uh, we post videos, blogs, um, podcast episodes. We'll certainly be sharing this there for um, our, our uh, followers. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just love to continue this conversation. So if you're curious, uh, send me a message on NextPivotPoint.com.
0: Excellent. Well, it's been great having you, Julie. There's a lot of things we didn't have time to get into, uh, talking about privilege, talking about race, lots of different <laughs> things. But this is this is really a good reminder, and has really motivated me even to I'm, I'm thinking about people in, in my own life to push this forward with. So thanks for the reminder.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, one thing on privilege, the um, the book White Fragility. If if you're interested in learning more about that as a white person or even a person of color, it is written by a white person about privilege and the historical perspective. I learned a ton from that read. If if that's something that's helpful.
0: Yeah, we'll throw that in the show notes too. Well, thanks so much, Julie. It's been great having you on. Thanks for sharing all your insights with us. Thanks for having me. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.